Today's episode of SBJ iFactor is sponsored by Pepsi. Joining us on SBJ iFactor today from Charlotte, North Carolina, is Tepper Sports and Entertainment President Tom Glick. Well, welcome to the SBJ iFactor. Really thrilled to have Tom Glick with us, President of Tepper Sports and Entertainment. More than 30 years in the sports business. And, and Tom, I'm probably not going to do you all justice here, but minor league baseball, New Jersey Nets, NBA Teambo offices, City Football Group, City Football Club, and now Tepper Sports and Entertainment. You've seen a lot. You made our 40 under 40 in the first year. I have your two write-ups right here. 1999 when you were with the Lansing Lugnuts and in 2000 when you were with the Sacramento Rivercats. So welcome. Yeah. Glad you're with us. You've got some great stories. Let's start from the beginning. So you grew up in Boston. You went to Cornell, but talk about your growing up, your early life, and how it influenced you. Thanks, Abe. Great, great to be with you. Thank you very much. Um, I did. I grew up. Um, I grew up in the suburbs uh, of Boston, a town called Needham. Um, oldest of three boys. I'm actually adopted. My my two younger brothers are biological to my adoptive parents, and uh, I would I wouldn't call us a sporting family. And I was uh, I was the I was the one who was passionate about sports, playing it. I played. YBA basketball, probably my favorite. Uh, played soccer, played little league baseball, skated on ponds, touch football, whatever I could do. Followed all the sports, and uh, uh, my brothers less interested, um, and my mom and dad not particularly. But my dad, he he really uh, embraced uh, my passion for it and made time. Some some coaching, but I cer I certainly remember. Um, countless trips to Fenway Park and Boston Garden. My dad worked in Cambridge downtown, so, you know, taking the train into downtown, always on my birthday, um, and other times, going to, going to a Celtics game at the Garden, going to a Red Sox game. Um, those, are, those are huge memories for me. And, um, and then I think my dad, in his own way, he was, you know, he, he, was, he was always there shuttling back and forth to sporting events and um, very encouraging of, I think, work ethic and showing up Showing up and you know playing playing my best on uh, on game day, uh, I could always remember hearing him on the sideline encouraging me to be more aggressive. So mm. he, he was a he was a huge influence, and uh, you know I had I had a, a great time growing up playing youth sports uh, in 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 Needham. We moved to Colorado for high school in the middle of high school, my sophomore year, and I continued with soccer for a year, uh, and then I wasn't invited to continue, which uh, happens to all of us <laughs> at right. some point. Sure so that is. happened to me after sophomore year. Uh, basketball, I continued straight through, uh, straight through my senior year, and um, and then finished my basketball career there, and and then picked up rowing as uh, as a university student uh, later on. Did you ever think growing up that you would make sports your vocation? I you know I didn't understand that there were careers in sport, and uh, in fact I enrolled at Cornell as an engineering student, uh, not because I thought engineering was what I wanted to do, but that's the school I had applied to. My dad was an electrical engineer. I had done good enough on the math math SAT, and I learned very early on that I loved school there, but I didn't uh, have a passion nor the gears to be an engineer. Uh, that summer I had um, you know kind of a crisis of. Uh, so what do I do now? And, and my, my mom and dad helped me to find a family friend. He was, um, he was actually someone I didn't know yet, but he was the father of one of my classmates. And he, he worked for the U.S. Skiing Association. He was in charge of the competitions in the Rocky Mountain area. And he took me to lunch uh, as a, uh, an 18-year-old, just finished my freshman year. And he, 
he opened my eyes to all the different careers at that point. This was back in 1987. Uh, that existed in sport. Uh, he, said, he said, look, um, there's more there than you think. Uh, you can study whatever you want. Um, you can stay in engineering, you can study English, philosophy, you know, whatever you want to do, but you're going to have to get your foot in the door and start working. And uh, that turned out to be good advice. I became a government major, right. hist history minor. Yep. I, um, I started working in the sports information office, Smart. Uh, covering, covering different sports from track and field to 150-pound football to women's ice hockey, you name it. Um, I worked uh, in the athletic department as well. And then I caught on uh, between my junior and senior year with my first internship in, in minor league baseball. And, uh, and that's when I caught the bug. So a couple of things there. One is, you know, learn from people about the net, about the opportunities. I tell young people all the time, there's always a who you know in sports, and your who you know was a family friend, and they told you about the opportunities in sports. The other part I love about your story is you are the quintessential starting internships in minor league baseball. I mean, just grinding through it, right? Yeah. Um I, th I think it was a great place to start, and there are so many different paths. We have we have colleagues, uh, you know, throughout the industry who have their own story of how they did it. I'm really grateful because, you know, in places like um, Jamestown, New York, where I worked for the Expos, I was one of three members of staff doing everything. Uh, the the Pirates organization in Welland, Ontario. These are both short season single A teams. Huntington, West Virginia, for the Cubs. I moved down. I was 23 into rookie ball. I had a big title as general manager. I was in charge of a staff of five, but I was also in charge of uh, the P&L and not losing money oh, and running great. everything for, for uh, five owners who, who lived in New York. And, you know, you do everything there from, you know, the lease to selling the tickets and operating the concession stand to cutting the grass, um, all the sales, all the operations. You, I mean, it was all on us, and uh, it was a, a real good way to learn everything that goes into operating a team which is really the same as, as the larger teams. You just have to move the decimal point over and the stage gets a little bit bigger. But uh, I, learned, um, I learned to work hard. I also learned the things that I, excited me the most, but also to appreciate and respect what goes into the other jobs that perhaps weren't my passion point and how, how decisions can impact um, those particular departments. So re really valuable experience at a very young age. So elaborate on that because your quote that I read earlier was you found out at that time at Jamestown that you were curious and passionate about the business of sports and you learned what made a high performance organization. But there are parts of the organization, like you said, that you really didn't understand or maybe not get engaged in. What, what part of the organizations were those and, and how did you get up to speed? Well, I think that, um, you know, you know, we did, we did, I did a lot of liaising with um, the, the Montreal Expos organization in Jamestown, uh, all the player personnel, uh, th things to take care of there, the same, the same with the Pirates in Welland, the same with the Cubs uh, in, in, in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, we operated our own stadium. We, um, we all, the, the, whole, the whole financial side, and th these are parts I would say, I, I have always tended to gravitate towards um, building the business, growing the business, sales, marketing, and, um, and the, strat the strategic moves to, uh, to build something and build an organization. Uh, and so I know that, I know that I've, I've always required a great running mate uh, as a CFO now, uh, as a COO running operations, uh, as, as well as on the sporting side. And, uh, you know, there are, there are lots of us who, who are attracted to, uh, you know, working in football operations. Right. I want to be a general yeah. manager. Right. I want to be in scouting, yeah. uh, same in baseball and soccer. And, 
you know, that, that for me wasn't how I got in. It's, it's, it's definitely not my skill set, and, uh, but, but I certainly understand uh, what, uh, what it takes to do that job well and how, in, how decisions that um, uh, I might make or, or uh, others in, involved in the business part of the organization, uh, how, how those things can really harmonize well with the sporting side. So you're young, you're in your mid-20s probably at this time. Who are some early influencers on you? Um, you know, I think that um, the, the, whole, the whole minor league baseball period was, um, was an early influence. When I made the move to Lansing, Michigan, uh, I had a chance to work for a husband and wife duo named mm -hmm. Tom Dixon and mm -hmm. Sherry Myers. Um, they, these are extraordinary executives, yeah. and extraordinary yeah. uh, sellers and marketers. And so they were the co-owners. I was their general manager, and I, I couldn't have imagined a better set of mentors uh, and upline for me, but also a situation we were building a brand new ballpark in downtown Lansing, Michigan, bringing this team there, and um, and just just the, the the approach that they took to running this single A baseball, baseball club was uh, revolutionary to me, um, and the, the the confidence and the conviction with 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 which they did it. Um, we, uh, we, we pursued a lot of strategies that others said we were crazy to do. Uh, I ate it up. I was a 26-year-old wow. and just a sponge, and, uh, yeah. and, and we did some remarkable things. So Tom and Sherry were, were real big influences on me. And, um, and you know, I, I, I would say then, you know, from there, um, I, I, I moved to Sacramento and I did another new ballpark and another startup. And at that point, I was just hungry to do another, another new stadium build. I had an owner there. And, Art Savage, the late Art Savage, who uh, was more financially and operationally driven, and uh, so he was looking to me to be the, you know, the key person as it related to revenue, sales, marketing, and and, and building that way. And so that was another great experience. But um, after four four years of that, I met I met a guy named Scott O'Neill, who you know very well, and uh, Scott convinced me to leave minor league baseball and make a move uh, to the National Basketball Association, and uh, and this was a huge influence for me. Um, to really be able to test myself, get um, get a window into 30 NBA teams, all of the N WNBA teams, the the D League as it was called uh, at that point, and not only to learn from Scott and so many other leaders in the league and uh, and at the teams, but also from then Commissioner David Stern and now Commissioner Adam Silver. So this was uh, this was a, a huge influence for me, and I think I think for me it validated a bit that. The things that I learned over 14 years in minor league baseball actually were applicable. Mm. Uh, the pace was increased, the standard right. was increased, and uh, and and I learned to work at that pace and at and at that standard, and um, and that was that was a great time for me. So those um, early 30s, probably right, because I know that you were 31 in Sacramento. I was. So I would have been maybe 30, 33, 33 when I moved to the NBA. Moved to the NBA in yeah. their Teambo division or yeah. whatever it was called at that yeah. time. Yeah. Would you say that any one of those up until that point of your life, that Tom, you've you know the a big career risk taken? Were any of these considered risk in your mind, or what was the biggest career risk? Well, um, I would say I would say that. Um, up to that point, there were people who told me that going to Lansing for a uh, for a title. I took a I, I I actually had done a year in hockey, and I was I was the business manager of this hockey team, and I took initially took a title of assistant general manager with Lansing, and then quickly became the general manager. But there were those in the industry who said, "Well, how could you you know how could you take a a move where you're going down in title?" Right. right. And uh, and in fact, when I when I left um, Sacramento, 
where I was a senior vice president to go to the NBA, Scott said, all I can offer you is a senior director title uh, to come in. So in both cases, I just viewed that the, the opportunity to learn, the opportunity to develop was the most important thing and, uh, and not so much the title. But um, I, don't, I don't know if I would say that those were the, the two biggest risks. The biggest risk would, would probably be um, a few years later when I went over uh, to the UK and, uh, and became the chief executive of, uh, of a club called Derby County. And um, I think that that was probably the biggest risk personally and professionally Why? at the time. Why? Well, um, first off, it was, uh, it was a completely different sport in a completely different uh, country. Um, it was a job where I was now over, over the top of, um, despite what I, what I just said a few minutes ago, over the top of soccer operations. So buying and selling plan, uh, players, managing a general manager, managing a head coach and scouting director. And, um, and, you know, and just into a, in a completely uh, foreign environment. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly glad I did it. I would also say this is, this is probably, my, probably my biggest failure. Um, uh, and, but I had, I had a lot of, uh, of great lessons from it. I spent four years there. Um, I, think, I think that the, you know, this, this is a team that had great investors like uh, Tom Ricketts, the owner of the Cubs, Bill Luby of Seaport Capital, Jeff Mallett, who's uh, a co-owner of both the Vancouver Major right. League Soccer Team and the San Francisco Giants. Um, but what we didn't do, we didn't get our due diligence right. So I learned the, the value of, of due diligence. Um, this is a league over there in England that um, doesn't operate with a salary cap, um, has in, in, in many cases uh, really passionate fans, some, some with moderate and some with um, very high expectations. In the case of Derby, this is a, a club with a huge fan base in any given year, even if it's playing in the second division, which we were, um, you know, would be the 10th, 11th, 12th biggest draw in the entire country. So, so wow. big crowds, yeah. has, had won the league a couple of times back in the 70s. And wanted its owners to have an ambition. So you had, you, we were squeezed by the, the fans of the club uh, to, to invest Spend, yeah. uh, and to win, which, yeah. is, which is right. You, this is exactly what fans uh, should do. Um, and, um, and even though we were able to grow revenues and grow, and grow the business, the, uh, the cost to compete in, in that league where all 24 teams are all pushing very hard to get a promotion spot to the Premier League. And of course, there are only three spots in any given year. Um, it was uh, it was a time where uh, we uh, we lost money. I learned I learned to think like an owner. Uh, you know, per personally lost money. Uh, had to, had to make capital calls, and um, and so th those are hard lessons to learn. But uh, but it was great to be able to uh, to learn learn those and have those as as, as experience, and, um, and 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 it was also a great professional adventure in terms of learning learning that sport, learning it in another country. Uh, I was able to serve on the football league board, the football association board, and um, and these were these were great experiences, and ultimately led me to Manchester City right. later on. Right. If in to think about that, if you had done your due diligence, would you have still taken the position? Well, um, I might have. In hindsight, I might have because it turned out to be a very positive right. experience. Is, yeah. You know. Would I and would the others have invested uh, money? Maybe not. Maybe not. Or, or we, yeah, we, 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 might have, we might have done it on different terms or we might have done it with a different club. Um, and, uh, and so, so it, it, really, it really showed the value of you know, thorough understanding of the business that you're investing in and getting in and the environment and the things that you can and can't control. And in that case, uh, with all the things that are great about that league, there are also variables outside of your control, which, right. are, which are risk factors.
I do want to get back to that because, Tom, you've worked with some interesting people. The late David Stern, you mentioned Adam Silver, Ferran at City Football Group, now with David Tepper. I do want to get your, your learnings and what you've uh, gleaned from watching them lead as we get to this. But let's transition to leadership style and your management style. What's it like? How has it changed? So I think I think I've always been I've always been an optimist and have always um, I've always enjoyed building things and I think these things pro probably in, inform my my leadership uh, style and always have 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 for a while. I tend to like to um, uh, to uh, work on a strategy, um, get others involved in working on that strategy, uh, carve out a vision, inspire a team to. Uh, accomplish something over a, over a long haul, whether it's getting something built or moving up the uh, the league tables, or something that we that we might do in the in the community, or something that we might do for fans, or something that we might do with partners. Um, so um, so you know, positive, inspiring, uh, sharing recognition with other people um, would be would be would would be uh, a way to characterize you know how I lead. I think I think over time I've changed. Um, from being very project focused um, to being more focused on uh, getting getting people to work well together, and uh, uh, I, I learned from Scott O'Neill early on the value of hiring great people. I think that group that we had in the two years that I was there at Teambo, the account managers in that that team, we had some amazing people there. And um, who else was there at that time? Oh gosh, we had Chris Granger there at the time. Oh, we had yeah, Amy Brooks there at the time. We had yeah. Dan Reed was there at the wow. time. So we, yeah, we had some group. we had some terrific people: yep. Bill Sutton, Chris yep. Heck, um, uh, Donna Daniels, all the, all there um, at that time. You know, and Scott. So Scott was able to attract and um, and and keep and get a group like that working well together. You know, all very capable people. In many cases, strong personalities. And um, and so I, I think I've I've pivoted towards working on that team, you know, helping to keep that team working in a harmonized way, in an integrated way, finding shared purpose, finding shared goals, um, and, um, and 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 I've made that adjustment. Where I think early on in my career I was I was quite uh, project focused, and as as uh, in, instead of also working on the culture and the way the way a team comes together and, and forms. And I know leaders always want to continue to evolve and get better. What do you still need to improve at? Well, I think uh, I think I would say uh, always always trying to find uh, the, you know the right balance of of um, delegating and giving people giving people good direction and letting them run and go go and run and do it, but also making sure not just to be accessible, but but being you know being on top of it just in case. And I you know the the riskier the project, uh, the the more important it is to stay close to it and make sure that. Um, that we're that I'm checking in, you know, with with that leader and with that team to make sure that things are going well. So that I think it's it's getting that right balance of, you know, when to when to come when to come back in, when to come in over the top if necessary, um, uh, but 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 not too often. Right. And, uh, and and so this this is a, a, a constant balance. You know, we talk about traits you see in successful leaders or leaders you admire, um, and maybe the most effective attribute or quality of effective leadership in your mind. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I, th I think that, you know, great leaders that, that, um, that I think of are, you know, they are great communicators. Uh, they can simplify things. Uh, they can, um, they can ins inspire and motivate people to uh, not, o not only to work, but work together and, and uh, you know, work towards a, towards a shared purpose. I think, um, you know, great leaders are, are also ones who, you know, are really high energy uh, or can recharge quickly. 
um, I, I, I think that um, there is really no substitute for, for, for hard work. I mm, think that you right. know, great leaders probably have you know, a, a really good work ethic and, uh, and are able to quietly sometimes in the background just stay on top of, of everything and, and uh, what, you know, whether it's uh, doing that extra little bit of homework or reading or what, whatever is needed. Um, and I think also, um, as, as, especially as you get into general management, the ability to focus, be present, compartmentalize, um, uh, other things that don't have to do with the meeting that you're in or the subject that you're on. If something bad has happened, being able to switch that off and to focus on on whatever comes next. I think that that quality I think is really is really important because not everything goes well, and there are a lot of things that fit into a day, and uh, you know being being present and being able to address whatever is next in front of you is, uh, I think, another quality that, that, uh, that good leaders have. You know, it's been about 13 months since we lost David Stern. Since you worked with him briefly, what did you, an attribute that you admired about him or a lesson that you learned from him? So many great things about David. Um, a lesson that, that, uh, that I learned was, um, was, was just really being able to, when something important came, came up, to be able to address it uh, in an open, honest way. We had, um, we had that fight um, between the Pistons and the Pacers, and uh -huh. it was a huge, a huge moment. And um, you know, I, I think a lot of leaders might have struggled in terms of what to do and how to respond. And David was, you know, David, David knew the right thing to do, and was, and was, was right out there in front uh, immediately, whether everybody, anybody agreed or everybody agreed uh, or not. You know, he was, he was always quick to, um, to have conviction and to take action. And um, you know, I'm just grateful to have the time with him. I, I think um, the, the, the one of the moments I remember with David the most was actually my very first meeting with David, uh, just after Scott had hired me for Team Bo. And um, this was in David's conference room, just off of the side of his office there, at the corner of uh, Fifth Avenue and uh, and 52nd Street, and 50, 51st Street, and. Um, and so he came in. I was already in the room, and he came in through kind of a side door and su surprised me. I didn't know there was a, a side door through to his office. And you know, his opening line was something along the lines of, "You know, Tom Glick, what the, you know, I'm sure. uh, blank is a guy from minor league baseball, baseball. going to teach um, a uh, an NBA team president?" And uh, just just straight in. And uh, as I recall, my my answer was was, uh, you know, David, I would bet that. Um, the, the last two minor league teams that, I, that I've been running are better run than half of your teams. Boom! I which, like it. Um, <laughs> I like it. Which I was just a lucky, a lucky answer, but but a accurate in terms of how I felt. But uh, that but I'm was, sure he uh, appreciated that. That was a, that was a, an early part of what was a very memorable meeting, and uh, I'm just grateful to have been able to work with him for a couple of years, and to have stayed in touch with him for years after. And now you work for someone who I probably get asked about the most, David Tepper. Briefly, what's his leadership style? What have you gleaned from him? So David, David is very straightforward. Um, you know, he would be the first to tell you that you know, he doesn't have all the answers. And, um, and he, he would say you know, I, he never underestimates his own stupidity. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But, so I think that um, you know, David really comes at it from um, wanting to um, work and listen and learn and figure things out and um, not expect that he's going to get everything right the first time, uh, but make, but make um, uh, uh, tinker and to make changes quickly. So, so, so learn and adapt, learn and adapt. And I think that, I think that describes how, we, uh, how we're operating the team. He's also you know, not afraid to make you know, big, bold moves. And, um, and so uh, we, um, 
I, I think we're very lucky right now to have him as a sole investor. Uh, so our, you know, our governance is with David, and, and uh, that enables us to make decisions and do things quickly. quickly. And I think that's by design. He, you know, he, he wants to be able to you know, do this, um, make a big difference. He's competitive. Uh, he said it's one of the great things you can do in life. He wants to make a difference in the community. He wants to make a difference in the region. And, um, you know, and I think, and I think we'll do things rapidly if they make sense and if we make a mistake to make a change. And I think this, this, describes, this describes David's style, which, which is great. We, um, if, we want to, if we want to do something, we do it. And um, you know, in, over the last two and a half years, we've, you know, we've started and, and, and begun a lot of things. We have big plans for the next few years, and I'm, I'm really enjoying working with them. It's one of the most bold and ambitious organizations, I think, in all of sports. Let's do some quick hitters, touching on a number of different things. I know you get this question a lot, but the best career advice you've either received or that you offer now to young people? Well, I, t I tell people a few things. Um, it goes back to this, um, this uh, uh, advice that I got after my freshman year in college, uh, which is, you know, just get started, get, get, especially for somebody who's not yet in it, if you're a college student, just get started. Um, I, I always encourage people to be willing to relocate. I think it opens up a lot more possibilities for people. So if you, and in my case, Maria, has been willing to relocate along with me and our family. Um, but uh, setting those two things aside, I, I really think it's the upline that you, that you, um, you get yourself into. So, you know, for me, David Tepper, Ferran Soriano, David Stern, Scott O'Neill, Tom Dixon, Sherry Myers, it's um, finding individuals and uh, organizations and projects where you can learn and develop. And I think this is the most important thing you can do at any point in your career, whether you're 20 or 30, 40 or 50. And there's some people who are always looking for that next job, that next job. How do you convince them to stay focused on their current job rather than always looking to the next one? Well, I think you can just you can just give them you can just give them that advice, and you know, I, I um, the insight that I share is that I think in every situation, um, the opportunity that I moved next to was one that approached I, I was approached with rather than that I was chasing, and so um, there's you know the the most important thing you can do is to focus and perform in the job that you're doing. Uh, it's incredibly important to build relationships inside and outside of your organization to keep them and to cultivate them. Um, and within moderation to communicate the things that you're doing. Too much self-promotion is a bad thing and it takes you away from the work that you have in front of you. So it's balancing keeping your head down and getting, getting the work done and, and communicating externally. But I think if you do all those things, uh, the, that next great opportunity will always find you. Knowing you in your probably 85 plus hour work weeks, how do you get away from it all? What are you reading, watching, binging? So I, I'm, I'm guilty of not getting away, away from it enough. Um, I, uh, I've got a morning exercise routine, which, uh, which helps me recharge. Um, trying to get a little bit of golf in. I'm learning to fish. I've got a fishing trip in the mountains oh, really? here in North Carolina nice. coming up. Uh, not good at it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a novice. Um, reading right now, I'm, I'm reading um, uh, Barack Obama's book, A Promised Land, Be begun that. Begun John Eisenberg's book, The League, about the beginnings of the NFL and, the f and fi five of those owners. And so I'm, I'm uh, early in, into both of those, but enjoying them very much. Um, so that's, that's a few of the things I'm doing. Anything you're watching? Are you a big we, Netflix um, or we've just Yeah, we've just finished, let's see, we've just finished Bridgerton yep. uh, with my wife. This is one of the things Maria and I like doing. We've, uh, we're, we're now going back and watching um, Outlander. We've just finished Fleabag recently, so it's just a whole mix.
Well, as we finish, you know, Tom, we just mentioned how ambitious and bold this organization, Tepper Sports and Entertainment, is thinking in the future. So really, what is on your to-do list over the next 12 to 16, 18 months? We have, uh, we have several things we're doing. We, um, we have become a, a sports and entertainment company. Um, two sports so far, the Panthers and the NFL, uh, Charlotte Football Club and Major League Soccer. Uh, so we're getting ready for our next NFL season, you know, preparing. I think we know now that we're going to have an NFL season. We're now preparing for what, what that could look like, depending on the pace of vaccinations and all of those things. So that's a big focus. We're 13 months out from launching our Major League Soccer Club, so that's in full build mode. There are stadium renovations that go along uh, with that at Bank of America Stadium. So those things are all keeping us busy. Um, our live, uh, live event and music business, uh, we had started ramping up and then we had to postpone shows uh, in 2020. But there, you know, those artists are ready to, ready to go, so we're continuing to build that. We have this massive campus that we're building on the south side of the metro, which will uh, be anchored by the Panthers' new uh, headquarters and training center. Massive, It'll be a yep. big mixed-use yep. development, 240 acres. So lots going on there to get ready for a 2023 opening. And, uh, and finally have begun master planning for um, an entertainment district uh, as part of the next phase of Uptown Charlotte. So all of these things, um, you know, have, have a lot of activity right now, which keeps it very interesting for all of us. You must like it. it I love it. Tom Glick was a 40 under 40 honoree, 1999 and 2000. Here we are in 2021, and he's still accomplishing so much in the sports business, a leader in the sports business. So we're proud of this pick, I'll tell you that much. So thanks for joining us on SBJI Factor, Tom Glick. We'll see you down the road. Thanks, Abe. Thanks for joining SBJI Factor today. Remember to subscribe to SBJI Factor wherever you listen to your podcasts and listen to our future episodes that will hit every two weeks.